Okay, so this is really weird. This is the first time I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. No, no. We like, this is like the higher power thing that like we got stopped and we're starting again. This is going to be our first two-parter. Um, oh, I'm very proud. So <laughs> the ending, the road. That's right. You are, you are actually, um, I didn't even talk about that. Michael is the last guest on the road taken because we're coming back next week with a new name, which I'm not going to announce yet because astrologically I'm not allowed to say it until next week. <laughs> but but um, we're yeah we're going to be all new in LA with with a new name and a new co-host, a new wingman or whatever. So you are the final guest on the road taken, and you are the first two-parter. I'm very proud to be. <laughs> Thank you, universe. Okay, so so let's get back to your story. So Wait. I went back to see the play Fishing by uh, Michael Weller. Is that right? Am I saying the name right? Well, there is there is a Michael Weller. There's a, well, Peter Weller's an actor, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Michael Weller. He's Michael a good Weller. guy and he's a friend, so I don't want to I'm waiting to hear who this girl is, because obviously... Penelope Milford. Oh, right, okay. okay. So Penelope Milford. So yeah. I go back to see her. That's okay. That's cool. And she... Um, she has this guy in from Paris, and we all go out to dinner. Yeah. There's three of us. Mm -hmm. And I'm just focusing on her, and the guy's doing whatever he's doing. And at one point, he says something that she reacted to, like he shouldn't be saying it or something. Mm -hmm. So I'm just looking at her across the table, and I just said, you want me to knock him out? Which was just a goof. you know. Yeah. But I knew it worked. I could see in her eyes it worked. She was like, oh, this guy's. So we dropped him off and went back to her place. And I, after we, you know, that. made love, mm -hmm. um, we were laying there talking. And I, oh, first of all, when I went to the apartment, she had a little baby grand. And I started playing Crazy, She Calls Me, which is this tune from the 40s that Billie Holiday did a version of that I love mm -hmm. that nobody knows. Moonlight's coming in on this little baby, white baby grand she had. I'm playing this song, and she starts singing it. She was a musical theater person. She was in uh, Shenandoah on Broadway. And, uh, you know, it was like heaven. It was like she knows, the, she knows the tune, she knows the words to the tune. It was just beautiful. And then after, we made, after that, we made love, and after we made love, I started asking her about what she had been in, and I couldn't believe it. She was so good an actress that mm -hmm. I had noted each of those characters and thought, I want to find out who that wow. actress is. And I forgot to find out. Wow. <coughs> she was in Coming Home, and she played this, mm -hmm. she played this working class girl. Mm -hmm. And I remember being with Rain when, I, when we saw mm -hmm. it together, when I left the theater saying, about time I gotta find out who that actress is. About time a Jersey working girl, you know, gets into movies or something like that. And I said to her, because she was from the North Shore of Chicago, mm -hmm. I'm like, what were you doing in that movie? And she was, oh, I was thinking of somebody, you know, like a, like a working class girl from Jersey, what would she be like? Well, you fucking nailed it. And I said, what else were you in? And she was in this um, live TV show was the name of that, but Henry Fonda was in it, one of the last things he did. Mm -hmm. And John Lithgow played her husband, and she played a Texas Southern kind of beauty queen type. Mm -hmm. Couldn't get further away from 
The Jersey girl. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that couldn't have been you. What were you thinking of? You know, so I, we started talking acting, because, uh -huh. you know, by then I was already, you know, in a couple of doing these horror movies. Okay, so, but you're not in LA, you are? I'm still in New York. You're no, still I'm in New, New York. York. Okay, so. And I had no intention of going to LA. Okay. I lived, I had a nice little apartment on the top of a federal building on, on Sullivan Street. Mm -hmm. that the, I knew the landlord, he, it was cheap, he had given it to me cheap. Mm -hmm. I was living there with my kids. My kids were getting older, so I was a little worried about that because it was a girl and a boy. I had a little bedroom, they had a little bedroom. Right. Trying to figure that out. Right. Up. And um, she had a one bedroom, Penny. Mm -hmm. So it sort of came down to, you know, if we're going to look for a place where we can all live together, it's too expensive. In New York, she was doing a TV movie in LA, so I flew out with her. Mm -hmm. And my first time in LA. And we saw some, she took me to, she knew what to do. She took me to Palisades Park in Santa Monica. That, that's, that got me. Uh, and then she took me to Venice <laughs> Beach. And I'm like, yeah. okay, it's not so bad. You know? <laughs> and then we looked at prices and I'm like, holy shit, you can get so much more here for, for than Ken in New York. Mm -hmm. So I came back and said, hey kids, you know, we're gonna move to LA. And they were excited, they were happy. Um, you know, surfing, all that stuff. They were growing up in New York in the 70s and early 80s. You know, it was pretty rough. My daughter had been mugged once, you know, uh -huh. at school and so on. And a friend of my sons had been shot at. So, so we ended up going and moving out there, you know. It's working. Wait, I'm checking to make sure we're, 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 we're. Oh, yeah, we're, good point. Yeah, let's make sure we're on the air. I can't tell. Are we? We are. Okay, Samantha says we are. Um, so, so how so do you we start moved to LA. Yeah, okay. moved to LA. And how do you start getting work? And I, I had been I'm getting, pushing you along now because yeah, we, yeah. we, we got to get to the documentary. I've been doing movies and things like that yeah. in, in New York. was making a little bit of money. Plus, yeah. I, plus I got a grant. I got a National Endowment for the Arts yeah. grant. My second one for poetry. That was like 12000 bucks. So I was, oh, you know, cool. I was making some uh -huh. money to get us. And she was making good money. Because she was still she was scoring, hot from she, the she was, so, Yeah, So she's scoring. So... We went out, we got a place in Santa Monica, and got written up in the papers. You know, we were written up, Lois Smith mentioned us in her column, so, because Penny was famous, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, and um, we, we broke up pretty quickly. We broke up pretty quickly because, you know, it didn't work. She was a great, talented woman, like, like, you know, all my other friends. She was just brilliant actress, is a brilliant actress. But it just wasn't working, you know. So uh, so we broke up. Uh -huh. And uh, I kind of hit some walls when I hit LA. I came in on a pretty high level uh -huh. through her friends, through uh -huh. people who had who I'd been already written about as an up and coming guy by a few people uh -huh. because of the other movies and uh -huh. things that I had done. And, um, but I was, very punky in my attitude towards people, right? I didn't. I, this I does not surprise me. I was like, you know, I walk into somebody's office, they have a movie poster, and I go, whoa, that, that was a terrible one. Oh. Stupid stuff like that. Oh. Was, an, an agent in Milwaukee Mars took me out for lunch and said, what do you think of Sam Shepard? I'm like, I was envious of him. So I was like, fuck Sam Shepard, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, I handle him. Oh. You kind of remind me of him. Oh. So I wasn't working with her, that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
I was a real idiot. I, I had no social tact, and I was proud. So how? Well, so how did you start getting work? I started getting work as a screenwriter. Because the acting wasn't happening, uh -huh. so I started working as a screenwriter. People, I had written. Now, a did you had you trained? No. How did you get the skills? I I written. I just read screenplays mm -hmm. and, and you know watched and admired movies. Mm -hmm. And I was already a writer. I'd right. written plays, mm -hmm. had some little plays done. So you know, I knew what I was doing after that. Okay. I didn't. I didn't. I put in way too much control of every camera camera angle. I was I, I was friend with Susan Seidelman. She wanted to put me in her in uh, her first movie, but then there was an actor strike, and I had just got into SAG. Mm -hmm. It was my second horror movie was SAG, so I didn't want to break the picket line. So she got somebody else to do it. I was really sorry about that, but we were friends. I showed her the script I had written it while I was still in New York. She stood to said, you know, get rid of all these camera angles. So that's that the director, for, you know, she showed me how to clean it up, mm -hmm. which I did. I brought it with me when I got to LA and showed it to people and everybody loved it. Mm -hmm. They thought it was great. They didn't want to do it because it was about a white guy and a black girl. You know, so nobody they weren't ready yet. Mm -hmm. I got into the head, what was his name? Ray Stark or whatever was the, yeah. head, the head of United mm -hmm. Artists, whatever. Mm -hmm. I got into it. He's like, how the hell did you even get in here? I said, because I'm cool and I'm smart. And, I'm, <laughs> and I goes, what's it? And I gave him the pitch and everything, mm -hmm. and he's like, now nah, the Southern theaters, they, they won't buy that. And I'm like, they're, they're going to buy it. You'll be surprised. You're going to have a fucking hit. Because they're the ones that wanted the most. I, I was stationed there in the South. That's why. That's what the screenplay is about. I was stationed in the segregated South when it was legally segregated. Blacks couldn't go to drive the movie in their own car. And I was causing a ruckus, endangering black people's lives. So that was, mm -hmm. was more of my arrogance and stupidity. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't taking a shit. I was like, fuck that. Mm -hmm. I ain't buying your laws. Mm -hmm. you know? And I got in a lot of trouble and they kicked me out and said, get this guy out of here in the Air Force in New Jersey. <laughs> so I said, you know, and of course, Bodyguard came out about, mm -hmm. I don't know how many years later. I also was, got hired to write a script for Dennis Quaid, for instance, and put, made it a, made, and put a black girl as the love interest. And they were like, you can't do that. I'm like, no, I know this singer from Jersey, Whitney Houston. She's great, but she was a skinny little thing. And they Come didn't know on. She, I know who she was. She's from Jersey. She's from my neck of the woods. Wow. Her aunt and her cousins and uh -huh. everybody, they were all famous in that area. You know, that kind of stuff. Okay, so you're writing screenplays. So I was getting hired to write, write screenplays. And then how did you segue into performing, to acting? I got back into acting because it was a writer's strike. And I still have to be these kids, right. right? I still have two kids that are older than that, or teens, or ready to go to college or something. And um, so the actor strike happens, mm -hmm. so I go back to screenwriting. I go to, no, the screenwriting strike happens, so I go back to acting. And by then, I'm older, I'm not gonna be any star guy, which is what they right. were pegging me as in the beginning. Right. You're the next James Dean, you're the next this, you know, Robert Redford, or whatever the fuck. And, um, so I, I, I started getting roles as bad guys on TV shows. I was a hitman on L.A. Law. I was a hitman on, what's that, uh, what's that uh, guy who played this chimney sweep? Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. What was that show he had? Murder, Jeez. mystery, some murder mystery show. What that was it? I don't know. Anyway, I was yeah. a hitman on that. You know, I played mob guys and bad guys and... Whatever, that kind and so of you're story. making a living being an actor? 
I was making a living, and I was, and then I hit a wall. My kids ended up. My their mother died. There was a malpractice suit. The money went to them. They got to go to college on their own. They had their own funds. I ended up moving to a little apartment. I was broke. Everything was over. It seemed like the screenwriters weren't. People weren't buying that. This, you know, wasn't looking good. And Eve Branstein, who I think you know, I certainly do. She said. People for years had said, you can get, you got to do voiceovers with that voice. <coughs> she said, I got a friend who's got a little voice agency. Please go see her. I went to see her, and just talking to her, she said, I've been looking for somebody to fill that niche. Nice. And uh, first year I worked for her, it was the most money I ever made in my life. Wow. Before or since. Wow. You know, I had one big client that. You know, they had sales all around the country at different, so you go in and do 18 spots. And wow. Get paid for 18, you know. That's sweet. It was very sweet. And, and you're publishing books this whole time? You're no, publishing I stopped poetry. publishing. I got, ah. when, I, when I went to LA, I was mad at the New York poetry scene <laughs> and literary scene because people would say at parties, mm -hmm. you're the greatest living poet walking the earth, or you're my favorite poet, or you influencing maybe something like that. And then they wouldn't say it in print, or they wouldn't get me a job when they got a job. Guy asked me to go read at his college upstate. I went up there, and he was shocked at how many people showed up. I said, well, it was like 150 people or something at a small college. Mm -hmm. I said, well, why wouldn't you expect that? Didn't you advertise? He goes, oh, no, I wouldn't advertise. I just told my classes. What? I said, why wouldn't you advertise? Because my, a lot of my poetry is, I have a long poem called My Life, which was denounced on the floor of Congress trying to close down the National Endowment for the Arts. I should end with the first few lines of that and you'll see why. Okay. Um, but it's just a long list of things I am, was, or was called when I, when I found I was 34. You know, they, 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 Republicans were calling it pornography and stuff. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted to get, you know, I figured it out. Once I stopped doing drugs and alcohol and looked, I looked at the titles of the poems and the table of contents in the first book that got published when I reached L.A., it was called Hollywood Magic, but it was all written long before L.A. Mm -hmm. It was about my relationship with Hollywood movies. Uh -huh. And some of the poems in, in the table of contents are piece of shit, <laughs> fuck me in the heart, you know what I mean? It's like, and I'm thinking, who the fuck is going to give me an award, right? But, and now the award goes to fuck me in the heart by Michael. What's going to happen? Now, of course, you know, 10 years later, transgressive, nobody does that. You know, I'm like fluid. I'm like, I wore a dress sometimes. I did all kinds. I wore a dress the other day at a demonstration against Kavanaugh for the, uh, for the um, you know, Supreme Court. You know, the handmaids and all of those red things in the bonnet look pretty, pretty goofy, but, you know, I was a lot of those things bef just a little too soon to kind of cash in on it. I wasn't looking to cash in on it anyway. And I never was looking to cash in. I wasn't interested in money, just enough to pay for my kids. You know what I mean? I wanted respect. Mm -hmm. And with this book, I, I, I got it. A lot of the people who blurred this book mm -hmm. are people who I thought didn't like me or had, didn't like my poetry. So I was really uh, humbled and knocked out by people's response, you know what I mean? I just remembered somebody else we have in common that I know is a huge fan, and I know that you're his favorite poet, and inspired him to write a book of poetry, Michael O'Keefe. 
That's right, I wrote the introduction for that. Mm -hmm. He came and read it at Women in Life. Yeah, Michael's a, Michael and I are very close, and we went and saw him, and Rachel and I, in the, um, in, uh, the play, I don't know if it's still doing it, in Cherry Lane, what was that called again? I don't think he's doing it anymore, because I would have been he there. He was so oh. fantastic. He's amazing. It was such a gutsy performance. Oh. I mean, he takes his shirt off and bounces up and down with a little flesh, you know, of a middle-aged man. Just an incredibly brave performance and wow. beautiful. Wow. Modulated, I mean, whole spectrum. I, he and I became buddies. He, he was a boyfriend and then ex-boyfriend of Karen's. That's how we met. And the first time we met, he had heard about me. He wrote a poem about it. I think it's probably in the book. It's called mm -hmm. Same Shoes. Mm -hmm. He showed up at Karen's and was a little intimidated meeting this older guy who was, you know, this cool guy, a street guy, whatever, and poet and all that. And uh, and they opened the door, to, I opened the door, you know, because Karen was busy. And he looked at me and he looked down and we were both wearing the same shoes. <laughs> he felt at ease. Aww. But we became instant buddies. I mean, he's another Irish guy. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm prejudiced for or against Irish either way, but, you know, you have these certain basic commonalities that, you know, in shorthand, mm -hmm. understand the drunken fathers and the violence. And so tell me how, how the end came with uh, getting high. What, what made you get sober? What was the bottom there? We'll get straight, but you were already sober, I guess. I, um, I went with Penny and me. How old are you? I'm uh, 41. Okay. Penny and me and Karen and I think it might have been Hart Bachner. I can't remember who the guy was. After the Oscars thing at Spago's, we went to uh, Top of the Rock, or at least it was during that, I don't know if it was the day of the Oscars or right the mm -hmm. day after. Mm -hmm. We were looking for a place to dance. Mm -hmm. And Karen pushed the button, we're on Sunset Strip, it's night, crowds standing around. To me, in my high state, I thought there was a spotlight shining down on where she was, it looked like, you know, she was a, focus of attention and, she, mm -hmm. and a voice says can I help you and she goes hi this is Karen Allen I'm with a few friends but I'll be moving we were wondering if we could come in and you know dance mm -hmm. they said sorry this is a private club and she looked you know a little chagrined and was ready to go try another club mm -hmm. but in my arrogant aye, aye, stoneness aye, aye. I go pushed up and hey you know who the fuck you <laughs> and she got embarrassed Everybody walked away, and I turned around and saw them walking away. Then we went into the rainbow room, and I started giving the bouncer shit. Karen went, let's just leave. And in the car ride back to wherever we were staying, everybody was quiet. And I had a little moment of clarity where I was like, I said I was a real asshole, I don't know what you think. And I, you know, I wrote an apology to everybody the next day, because these were my friends, and I loved them. You know, my, my Penny was my wife at the time. She got over it pretty quickly, but you know, I, I, you know, I had my, as we used to say, I had my coat pulled. You know, I, I was made aware mm -hmm. that my behavior was unacceptable. As I wrote a poem later, you know, twenty-year-old bad boys might be sexy. Forty-year-old bad boy, you know, <laughs> pushing that shit. You know? Yeah. So, you had your moment of clarity. Did you just 
get straight, or did that take time? No, or? it took a little time. Uh -huh. It took a little time, but eventually it happened. I realized that, you know, it occurred to me that every time I went to a party, I'd say, I don't want to get high. Mm -hmm. And then I'd leave the party and go, oh, fuck, I got high again, didn't I? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had help and, and uh, met people and got through that. And, uh, you know, once I, once I was on that path, I stayed on the path. It was very hard in the beginning because I was an angry guy. Mm -hmm. I had to get, you know, I had to learn how, I had to learn that anger is nothing but fear. Mm -hmm. I had to ask myself every time I got angry, Michael, what are you afraid of? And after a few weeks or months or years, I realized, after a while I realized when I, it all kind of boiled down to one fear. Mm -hmm. And that one fear was that I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. I suck, I'm not, I'm an asshole, I fuck everything up, you know, I'm no good, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Wherever we get that, or I got it as a kid, you know, I used to talk about how the Irish, nobody ever said this exactly to me, but it's very Irish behavior. They said things like this, you know, that backhanded compliment thing. Mm -hmm. Can't tell, can't give a compliment when I'm taking it back. Mm -hmm. They'd say, oh, you're a good looking boy. Who the hell do you think you are? Mm -hmm. It's very confusing, you know. Mm -hmm. I'd look in the mirror and I was taught if I looked in the mirror, if I looked at my eyes in the mirror, I'd see the devil and go crazy. If my father saw me looking in the mirror, he'd say, Vanity hath I ever offended thee. This is a seventh grade dropout, but he got wow. that from church, you know, wow. from somewhere. So there was always this, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you're fucking it up. You know, you're not doing it right. And uh, once I learned that there was just fear driving me, then somebody taught me, I can say his name because a lot of people picked up on what he said because he was a great writer and he was my best friend in LA. He was like an older brother. I always had older guys I hung out with because I had these older brothers. Mm -hmm. And this guy filled that bill, uh, Hubert Selby Jr. He said, he said to me once. Who? Who was it? Hubert Selby Jr. Mm -hmm. He said once, you know, life's just a series of decisions and you're either deciding from a place of love or you decide from a place of fear. It's your choice. That's The Course in Miracles, by the way, which is... That's where he got it from, like yeah, Marianne Williams. Uh -huh. yeah, I figured he got it from somewhere. He, yeah. he was definitely in The Course in Miracles. But, mm -hmm. but you know, because he was a seventh grade dropout, mm -hmm. street rageaholic, I could hear it. You know what I mean? Right, right, exactly. I could hear him saying it to me. And, uh, and you know, so I spent the rest of my life trying to make up for all that damage I did the first half of my life. You know, trying to help as many people as I can, and to be as kind as I can be, I'm still like a, I'm still that punk. I mean, I'm well, I'm 76. I've had cancer operations, I had a brain operation, I got four heart conditions, all kinds of operations and problems. You could go like this, and I'd probably fall over. <laughs> but somebody beeps at me in the parking lot, I still get out of the car and pound my. I go. Do Do you really? And then I go. Sorry, I'm being an asshole. Because I, I see what I'm doing. And you've done a lot in recovery. Um, uh, I'm going to dance around this, but you've done a lot for writers indirectly, directly, which has affected me as a sober writer, um, which I am so grateful for. You're a part of my regular life before we ever knew each other. And um, Yeah, I, I came up with some ideas to help uh, some writers in Hollywood and uh, like myself, mostly to help myself, but end up, 
A lot of people. Yeah, I mean, and that, I mean, I think that's I think that's your job, you know. Uh, I think the second half of life, if you're lucky enough to be given it, the job is to give back everything you got, you know. Okay, so let's everything talk about of what you've got going on now. So you've got you're gonna be gonna before we leave, you're gonna go out. We're gonna go out with one more. Um, we're gonna go out with one more poem from from Michael. So wait, what is it called? It's not called. It's no, not the name. What, what what's this collect? It's not called a collection. What is? What did you say it's called? It's just called poems, 1960 to 2017. Oh, but you said that it couldn't be called. It couldn't something. be called a new and selected, but that's what it oh, is. Okay, it couldn't be called. Okay, so now there's a documentary being made, which is being shot right now. I don't know if any of this is going to get used, but there is one. And and um, Rachel Dykin, who um, is the documentarian who's making this film, is behind the camera. And we had the fortune, the great good fortune to, I had the great good fortune to meet you in LA at this thing that Michael is responsible for, which is pretty crazy in itself. So, okay, so they're making a documentary and it's called, I want to call it Michael Lally, I, Michael Lally, I want to call it a poem. I want to call it poems. I want to call it poems. All right, see, I can't read in the dark. Um, so, Tell, okay, so there is a, a crowdfunding campaign to, to finish this film. They're still shooting. Rachel and Michael are still filming, um, shooting. And um, I'm going to put the information so that you can help them make this real because the American poet doesn't exist. I mean, you are. I know. The, you're but very are, important. Well, I don't know about that, but, but you know, I think, I mean, everybody's got a voice and everybody's got a story, and I got one. And, you know, it could, might help you figure out yours, or it might help you get through yours. And that's, yes, you know, poetry is amazing. I lost jobs because I called myself gay. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what that means. I'm, I identify with the queer community, although mostly I like, you know, I, I, have, I have relationships with women. But I've had a lot of male lovers. I had a lot of, mostly in the 70s, and a lot of them died of AIDS. Mm -hmm. Why am I still around? You know, I mean, I've been through a lot of things that maybe you've been through or you're afraid to go through. And, you know, my, this, kind, this poetry doesn't have anything to do with the poet's life. In my case, it's, that's what it's about. It's about, I, want to share my, I wanted to share my experience initially because I didn't see it anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And now I want to share it because I want to help anybody that's, that needs help if I can. I love that. Um, I was just talking to earlier, Samantha and I saw Straight White Men last night on Broadway, and it's the first play that has a trans, isn't it the first play with a tra with trans actors who are on Broadway? No, Head Over Heels, the, oh, the musical, has the first transgender woman in a principal, originating in a, a principal role. In a principal role, but there are two, two transgender women in Straight White Men in a play. Um, but anyway, fun, but I had a, I told you, I had a play that ran in L.A. Oh, yeah, Chicks with Dicks. Chicks with Dicks. <laughs> and that was a long time ago. Um, so um, I'm going to have the, the link so that you can help get this in. Because it's important for us to hear your story because it is a very unique story. And it's also important for poetry to be kept alive because um, it's rarely talked about. Um, it's, all, it's alive. It's always been alive. It always will be. It's thriving terms of people writing it. It just doesn't get the recognition. I used to, not anymore of course, but in the 70s and 80s, 
I would sometimes have standing room only in big, in big, big venues, and it wouldn't get mentioned anywhere. I would write letters all the time wow. to the New York Times and say, you review a little chamber orchestra recital that has an audience of 30, and you don't review poetry readings at St. Mark's that have audiences of 100. Wow. What's up with that, you know? Wow. Anyway. Okay, so Michael's going to take us out with a poem. Thank you so much for, for, uh, for being my guest. Thank you, Rachel, for shooting. Thank you, Samantha, for shooting. Thank you, um, both you guys, all you guys. Thank you for listening to this is called Love Never Dies. Lots of shit dies. Love doesn't. Parts of me are already dead, but love isn't. My appendix, dead and buried. My prostate and a disc from my back, dead gone too. And parts of my brain cut out with the dime-sized foreign body that got in there somehow to cause so much trouble. The Twin Towers died, and all those lost with them. Like a woman who was kind to me when she didn't have to be. Gone on one of those two planes, but my love for her isn't. Five of my siblings and our old man and ma passed on now for a while, but not the love we shared when we were honest. The mother of my oldest kids, my first wife, gone, but the love she and I shared never died, though maybe the like did. My first true love, too, the love of my life, gone now for almost a decade. But my love for her and hers for me never died, even through all of our husbands and wives and lovers over the years when we were out of touch with each other. None of that stopped the love we both felt and affirmed whenever we spoke again. Like the week before she passed, still working, to help troubled kids find families. Those kids still grateful for the love she showed them. That's still alive, even if she's with the ancestors now. Or other women I've lived with who have passed on, or lovers long gone, like Joan B. or Joe B., her face so sweet and tough, voice still admonishing me to just be myself and not worry what others think. His voice so quiet and stuttering in my ear as I write this. His image on my bookshelves with his books. His art on my walls. I only wish he'd lived long enough to see it didn't matter how famous he did or didn't become. His work living out among us who love it, exhibited often since he passed. Or Tony gone so recently, a young man who went from ripping doors off their hinges when he was upset with his wife and kids to the gentlest giant of many I've known. His ex-skinhead rages transformed as he turned the pages of his life from anger to compassion, his punk Buddhist practice enabling him to live with the rare brain disease that took his physical presence from us, but not the love we who knew him shared. I think of him every day, as I do a lot who live now only in our hearts. Oh, lots of shit dies like almost everything that was new when I was a boy, including the people. If you live long enough, so much passes, it feels like another world. But it's the same one where love never dies. Michael Alley, another way to play. And um, a documentary coming soon. 
let me get this right, Michael Lally, I want to call it Pens. And um, thank you so much. Thank and Rachel, me. thank you. Samantha, thank you. I'm sorry for the interruption in the middle. It's a two-parter now. Uh, we'll see you next week um, with an all-new, and I'll tell you about it soon. Thanks for being here.